Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Book Journeys Radio. Each week on the show, we talk to another author about their experience writing a book that matters. And certainly this week is no exception. Um, We've definitely got a, a treat in store for you today. We have author Kenyon Oban Oster with us. He is the author of Falling Out, a memoir, Saving a Life Should Be More Fun, um, which I love that title. And um, you can you can check out his book at fallingout.net. Um, but Kenyon is here with us from New York. Kenyon, tell us a little bit about your book and how you came to write it. Hi, everyone. Um, I, yeah, I, my friend and I were on a balcony at a K-bar in New Orleans. She lost her balance. I reached out to save her. And then we ended up falling over the railing together. Um, so it's actually falling out of the closet because when my parents got to the hospital, I was dead. The doctors didn't know if I was going to wake up from the coma. My boyfriend was there. My bearded lesbian friend was there. And my parents were just completely gobsmacked because they had no idea what to say or what to think. So literally it's falling out of the closet. Um, and then uh, and then when I woke up from the coma, my friend whose life I saved decided to sue me. So this book oh, was that just should about, definitely be more fun than that. Yes, exactly. I, I, that's not fun at all. No, no, no. So the book, so that's the genesis of the book, and it's just really about the struggle because no one expected me to ever have a normal life or, or recover, but they wouldn't tell me why. And I was such a like I was this brain damaged zombie, and I was so numb. But I believe that if I found my voice, I would be able to make sense of the chaos inside of my head and forgive my friend because obviously I never wanted to forgive her. Um, and so, it, it, so basically, I wrote this journey about struggling with anger and 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 being disconnected and tr- being disconnected from me and trapped inside myself all at the same time, which is a double whammy, and trying to process my emotions and look for words and and looking normal on the outside and struggling to ask for help. So, you know, 2 million Americans suffer traumatic brain injuries every year. And I kind of wrote this as a resource because I know my parents were lost. And the thing is, no one told my parents how to help me recover from what happened to me. And I'm asking, I'm looking to my parents for help, but they don't know because no one told them how to help me or what to expect. And because, you know, with my doctors, they they mainly shrugged their shoulders when diagnosing my recovery. And it, so that was how I began my adult life was just with this, with this prognosis that, oh, for the rest of your life, Kenyon, you're going to feel like you're going to lose your mind at any given moment. Have fun with that, you know? So it's just, it's about an impossible journey and uh, just affirming myself with positive energy and just saying something wonderful is going to happen to me. I didn't always believe it, but I said it a lot and um, and it's just about moving forward and finding my voice and finding my center and while my life falls apart and, you know, just moving forward. So that's the genesis. So how long ago did all of this happen and then... Tell me about your decision to write the book. How long after your injury and obviously recovery did you decide to write the book? It took, um, this all happened 20 years ago. 
Um, I was 19. Yeah, I was 19. It took me a long time. Um, I'd say it took me almost 20 years to recover completely. I'd say I'm like at 95%. There's still, you know, I have some good crazy days and some bad crazy days. But, um, you know, it's about perception and it's about embracing it with positive energy and, 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 and not – you know, for a long time when my life was falling apart, uh, you know, I, I really didn't have the benefit of, of being centered. So um, so I'd say I struggled to write this book for 18 years. And did you know, and like, did you know 18 years ago you were going to write the book? Or, like, what, what was the moment where you're like, i got to write a book about this? Oh, I think when, um, I, yeah, I'm not really sure exactly, because it was just, it was so overwhelming, you know, like, I could, like, my friend's suing me, my parents are like, you know, they don't know how to, 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 to help me, um, I caught and my lawyer dealing, lying to they're me. they're dealing with you, uh, coming out as well, right? They had to yeah, they're, they're, they're dealing, they're dealing with me coming out of the closet, they're dealing with my boyfriend, who they didn't want to deal with, they ended up sending him away from the hospital, um, so it, it was just, it was a lot, it was a lot to, it was a, it was a lot to take in, but I knew I wanted to write about it because I knew it was a, you know, I knew it was a great story. And, um, and the, the crazy thing is, it's like, I, I finally did it. It took me 19 years. Um, but I did it and it's about never what, giving up. When you were really in the, in the thick of writing it, and I know your book was published about a year ago. So yes. let's say over the last, you know, maybe two years ago, when you really yes. focused on writing it, what right. was the? Did you have a? Did you have a vision for what success looked like? Um, no, I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would look at books and I would imagine my book inside the bookstore on a shelf. Um, that's what I would do. I would, I would always, I would always envision my book inside a bookstore. So, mm-hmm. so, so success. Not so much, but having my book in the bookstore, absolutely. Um, and then one day I read, uh, I, I, I gave it to a friend, and they read the first half of it in a matter of seven hours and gave me the most amazing critique. They were like, you're the love child of David Sedaris and Richard Price. Your descriptions aren't extraneous. I was crying. I was laughing. It was just, it was every, it was every critique that I needed from, from from a reader, and I knew at that moment that I had that I finally, after struggling for you know 18 years that, at that moment, that I had a product. And then I just I started emailing all of my contacts, and I was emailing some some pretty big publishers and people in people in media and um, people at CAA and people at William Morris. I was like, hey, I met you, I met you at this party. Here's my book, and I'm, I would just send them the book. And and no one really got back to me, so I was like, well, I, I'm like, I better self-publish before this book ends up out there in a year with another name on it. So that was the whole part of me self-publishing. Well, and so talk about that experience a little. You self-published. What did that mean in your case? What did you What did you do? Who did you work with? I worked um, with I Yeah, I worked with iUniverse um, because they offered this. I could be on the Barnes and Noble website, which I which I thought was very important at the time. Um, I don't know if moving forward I would go with iUniverse again, um, but right now, I mean, I have a really fascinating life where I get to meet people who uh, 
who work at Vanity Fair magazine and can and can connect me with people who work at Penguin and Random House. And so that's that's what I'm doing next so, week. Is so with iUniverse. Yeah. You when you made that decision, what what would you do differently today? So somebody's trying to self-publish today, and they're yeah. looking at options and they're overwhelmed. What would you say? Uh, if you were doing it all over again, you'd be looking for what questions would you be asking? Um, I more more along the marketing side. I, I just you know, I think for me, my biggest um, my biggest problem with dealing with a, an independent publisher in say Ohio or Indianapolis or wherever they are is that I used to work in marketing and I used to work in PR, so. I understand when I say I'm going to do something or when I go to a marketing business or an advertising business in New York, I know that they're going to be very detail-oriented and very focused and and that they're going to try to uh, they're going to try to get results for me. And I think um I think iUniverse publishes way too many titles to be able to devote any sort of uh um I, I think care to their authors, which is which that was my that's been my big disappointment with iUniverse. I they they asked me to fill out this questionnaire, um, and I and I was just like, wow, could you just read the introduction and then the cover copy, um, and that'll that'll answer every question that you're asking me. And you know, like they're you know like why why would why did you write the book? And uh, what was your motivation? It's, and and I actually went back and forth for two weeks with us with with like the marketing person at iUniverse, and and she was so she couldn't believe that I was asking her to read the introduction of the book. And we're not talking like a long introduction, you know. Right. It's it's just about so like hey, you know, you like were, if you were to do it again, and obviously you had reasons to self-publish. But do you think in your case it would have been a better decision or if you had to do it over again or for your second book to um, work to find an agent and a more traditional publisher for the type of relationship you're trying to look for? I mean, obviously, when you work with a traditional publisher, you're getting a much smaller royalty, but you are getting more of that hands-on attention. Right. You know what? Everything about this book is the way I wanted it. So that's this is my baby. Every aspect of this book is my book, and I would not have had that control if I went with a publisher, so a traditional publisher. So, um, so no. I mean, I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that no one. I'm glad that none of my contacts got back to me and 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 thought that this was a great idea, um, because. You know, like on the like on the cover, it's like I'm a big drag queen on the cover of my book. I'm Sabrina Laverne Williams. She's the albino sister of Venus and Serena, and but but just more than that, like every chapter is is my vision. It's what I want it to be. It's it's I, I, like I didn't have to to, to 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 curtail it. I didn't have to to edit it. Um, so absolutely not. I mean. Traditional publishing is great because it's much easier to sell it because they have all their wheels in motion already. Um, that's that's what I regret is that I wasn't as smart about marketing because now every day I'm learning how to market this book. Every day I'm talking about it. I'm talking to people at NBC or I'm talking to people at Good Morning America or, or trying to, 
You know, like that's basically so kind of one of the one of the questions I always ask on the show is, "What do you wish you knew before you wrote your book?" And in your case, I want to ask specifically about marketing. What do you wish you knew about marketing before you wrote your book? I wish I knew how difficult it was to sell a book before <laughs> before I, I published it. And I wish I knew how flaky my friends were going to be about buying it. <laughs> so, um, and I also wish I understood how um, how vulnerable I I would I would have felt if uh, when it when it was published. But I mean, that's all like that's all like emotional stuff. Um, but you know, I think what I'm learning, um, and, and it's not necessarily what I wish I had known before. What I'm learning is that I have to be that person who's like, "Hi, my name is Kenyon. This is my book. Let's talk about my book." You know, like that's like that's what I'm doing every day. And you know, some people think think it's endearing, and some people think it's annoying. But you know, why do you do that? Is it about the money? What, like, why do no. you? No, it's I, no. I haven't. I haven't made that much money off of it. I mean, I had. Um, I was very fortunate. I had Belvedere Vodka um, sponsor my book signing, so I had okay. a line. Yeah, I had. A, I had a line for three hours um, wow. of people buying buying my book. So that was so really. Wait, I'm going to pause you there. How did you get that? Because getting a sponsor for a book signing, I think, is something everybody should think about. Oh, I met the president of Belvedere Vodka and his wife, and they loved me. And um, so I just asked them. <laughs> I asked. Um, they they came into um, his, his uh, uh, Charles Gibbs. He's the president of Belvedere Vodka. His wife wanted a cocktail, and um, and I and, and she said she like oh should I have a Moscow mule or should I have or should I have this. And I simply said, you should have a Moscow Mule, and you should have it with Belvedere Vodka because it's made with a golden rye, and they have their own distillery and all this other stuff, and it's one of the best vodkas in the world. But the thing is, I didn't know that – before I said that, as I was saying that, I didn't know that he was the president of Belvedere Vodka. So oh, my God. I, so, like, I'm talking about Belvedere Vodka as if he doesn't know, and he was so – like, he literally, his jaw dropped. And from that moment – we were instant friends, and you know, we just, you know, we've been emailing, and and so I just, I, you know, I had that connection, so I asked him. I was like, hey, can you help me? So that's how I, that's how that happened. Well, you know, like you make that sound so casual, but so many people would have that opportunity and let it go by and not ask because it is a little bit of a vulnerable, crazy question. Will you sponsor my book signing where I'm dressed like a drag queen on the cover? Like that's pretty. <laughs> well, no, but you can't. I mean, like, there's things you leave out, you know? I mean, you know, like, hey, I'm a drag queen on the cover of my book. No, it's just like, hey, I have a really great memoir. Would you like to uh, Would you like to sponsor the book signing? Um, you know. And, and if like, you ask him that, I'm going to I'm gonna guess that you've asked a lot of people a lot of things. Um, yes. And, and maybe gotten a no here or there. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, so tell thing, me about the nose. So tell me about how I you deal with the nose and what your philosophy is around that. I don't really get nose. I just get, like, no response in the email. But the thing mm-hmm. is, it's like, yeah, you know, and that's fine because I'm dealing with very busy people. So, like, I just wait and wait. And then one day, you know, I mean, there's – David Bigliano, who's a huge literary agent, he um, he bought Kurt, Kurt Cobain's journals twenty something mm-hmm. years ago, 
everybody and everybody in the in the book world was like, "Oh, that's a big mistake. That's a big waste of money." And David Vigliano, that book went on to be on the bestsellers list for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and he proved everybody wrong. So I met him, and we had dinner once, and we talked about him book, and I sent it to him. But the thing is, it's like he never got back to me. But I always, I always email him. I always like send him text messages. I'm always like because one day um, when um, at HarperCollins, this editor at HarperCollins, I pitched her, and she was like, "Oh, uh, this is a great idea. This this book's a great idea. Um, have an agent come. Uh, you know, we have an agent call me." So I spent ten days asking David Vigliano to call this woman at HarperCollins, and he finally did it. And hmm. but the thing is, but the thing is, when he called her, she was like, "Oh, I don't really, you know, I don't really do that. That's not my specialty." Um, so hmm. it was kind of like it was. So then I called her, and she was like, "Well, she's like, how did you get David Vigliano to call me?" And I'm like, "Well, because I asked him to." Um, you know, I mean, because you said, Which, you know, that, again, I feel like it's just such great advice for people listening because the biggest key to getting, you know, getting to yes is to ask. And a lot of people don't take that step. Exactly. You have to ask. It's all about like, you know, because, you know, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate. I get to network with people. You know, the other day um, I did a radio interview last week on um, Wake Up With Taylor on XM in New York. And uh, two days before, I told this guy who he he's an NBC uh, reporter. I told him about it. He was like, "Oh, really?" He, he, he said, "Send me your book." So of course, the next day he got it in the mail. I mean, it's all about like talking to people, to people who can help you. You know, like I mean, someone's going to be interested. I, you know, I have Amy Bell. She's the deputy editor of Vanity Fair magazine. She thinks my book is triumphant, and I only met her because I dressed up as Sabrina Laverne Williams, who's on the cover of the book. I dressed up as her. I went to NBC, and NBC at the Today Show, they were like, get out of here. You're in a dress. We don't do costumes, blah, blah, blah. I went to work later that night, and I was convincing to my coworkers about how NBC kicked me out of the plaza. And as I said, I just wanted to give my book to Hoda. Amy Bell from Vanity Fair magazine is 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 within earshot of me, and she says, "Oh, I'll give your book to Hoda for you tomorrow." And it's it's crazy. Wow. And yeah, three months later, I run into her. She's just like, "Oh my God, your book is triumphant!" Da, 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 da. So now it's like, you know, now I have this email relationship with her where I'm trying to like, what do I ask her? I haven't asked her for help yet because I don't exactly know what I want to ask her yet. So that's kind of like it's there. But I think when you put yourself out there, things come back, you know. Like not everyone's going to say yes. People are going to say no. People are not going to say no. But I just, you know, until until people tell you not to not to email them, um, keep emailing them. But that's what you I say. Keep emailing until you get them out. <laughs> yeah, and you know. And what, um, you know, what motivates you about getting this story out? I, oh gosh, um, right now, I love hearing people say, oh my God, I love your book. I'm at this chapter. Oh, I'm at that chapter. You know, it's just, you know, my boss, um, my boss's wife is reading it and I've, uh, and he, he like, he walked into, he walked into the, to the office the other day 
and he and he just said, Nikki, Nikki's on chapter ten. You just changed your name. You know, she oh, wants wow. it. I mean, so like that's kind of like like that's what I'm that's what I'm getting right now is that like wow, like that's the affirmation. Like yeah, like it's a great book. So, um, because I didn't study it in school, you know, um, Maybe it was writing just or... yeah. Right, yeah, like I wasn't, I mean, I didn't even finish college. So so it's, it's nice to have that validation from people who are just like, oh, wow, this is really great. So, or like, I mean, the, the night of the book signing, 10 people went home. Um, well, more than more than 10 people bought the book that night. But 10 people the next day let me know that they stayed up all night and read it. Wow. Which is like the huge, like the biggest compliment you could ever get is that, like, because we're New Yorkers, we don't waste time. So we're not going to, like, sit through a book that we're not into. Um, right. So, yeah, but, but yeah, but, I mean, you have to, like, you have to push forward. You have to push forward. You have to do, you know, you have to find, follow your vision, follow your, your, your dream and make it happen. And when it happens, people, you know, I mean, of course not everybody is going to want to help you, but some people are. So that's what I'm finding anyway. And why why have you why have you made this your dream? What are you hoping to get out of it for yourself? Right now, oh my god, I want to write um I want to write a few more memoirs. I you know what? I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed of what saving my friend's life did to me and and made me and I was so I was so depressed. Um, and I was agoraphobic, and I was living with post-traumatic stress disorder and fighting these panic attacks, and I just, I I felt so alone, and I was, like, like I said, I was so ashamed um, about what saving my friend's life did to me, and, um, and I just, you know... I, I kind of want to, like, I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I kind of feel like the poster child for mental illness, um, mm-hmm. you know, because for, because the diagnosis was, and this is why no one ever expected me to have a normal life, is, well, for the rest of your life, you're going to feel like you're going to lose your mind at any given moment. So basically, and why, why is that? Tell us a little bit more about your condition that you would, why would that I, be the case? Exactly. No, no, I had a massive brain injury. And like I said, 2 million Americans suffer traumatic brain injuries every year. So some not as, not as severe as mine. Um, but like just the part, like the, the area, of the, one of the areas of my brain that was damaged housed emotions. And like that's why, that's what the diagnosis was. So... Mm. And no one, no one could articulate what that was like, you know. And that was, and I couldn't. I was a zombie. I'd like, you know, they were like, Ugh. Um, so anyway, it was a struggle. Um, so I'm, I want this to be a resource for people. I want people to talk about their depression. I want people, you know, like we're just we, we're carrying a lot of stuff around. We just got to let it out. Like there shouldn't be any there shouldn't be any shame with the fact that we're living with depression or if you're depressed. Not not that everyone's depressed, but if you're, you know, if you're depressed, talk about it. Don't hold on to it, you know. Um 40 million Americans struggle with depression. 15 million Americans suffer with a major depressive disorder. You know, 8 million uh, Americans cope with post traumatic stress disorder. Six million uh, fight panic attacks on a regular. You know, two million Americans are. And do you feel? And do you feel like your story 
can obviously it's not your story isn't going to change the number of of no. you know, traumatic brain injuries. So what do you want your story to do? I you know what I just want. Here's the deal. Oh, people would come up to me when when the accident first happened. People would come up to me and they'd be like, "Oh, you're different. You're different." Well, it's like. What's like, duh, I'm different. I'm a, I'm a zombie, you know? Like, it was just, and I would get these, I would get these, like, these encouragements from people. They were like, oh, don't worry. One day, one day you'll be better. And it was just at a time when, like, I, like, I couldn't articulate anything, but I thought I was still David Landry because I began my book as David Landry and I ended as Kenyon Oster. Um, mm. I had, because I changed my name, because people, and I know they were trying to encourage, they they were trying to encourage me by doing that, and I and I love them for that. But at a time when all I wanted to be was David Landry, and I thought I was that person, to be constantly reminded by people that I wasn't was so heartbreaking. And like it just like I couldn't get it. So when I changed my name and I chose family names to claim my position in the family and to let my family know that I was different. Um, I think that was a huge moment for me because soon after I changed my name, someone someone came into my life, a, a dear, dear, dear friend came into my life, and she told me about a story where a, a young woman, a friend of her, a friend of her friends, who was in a car accident, suffered a massive brain injury, went back to work, and she went through the same thing where people were like, oh. Don't worry, girl. You know you'll be fine one day. You'll be better one day. And she could not cope with all of that. She ended up killing herself. Wow. You Do know, you and feel like, like after what happened to you, you are literally a different person. Somewhat, yes, absolutely, absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that I'm a different person. Not and completely. Aspects of your aspects of your personality changed. Aspects of how, I think, like, I think, what I, your interests what changed. I think, no, no, no. I think like after 20 years, I've kind of like leveled back to where I was before. But it's like 20 years of like you know being like you know, different phases of being a zombie. You know what I'm saying? So it's about being patient. Um, it's, wow. you know, it's really about being patient. Uh, and, but also believing that, you know, there was, I literally, I had one person, I had a social worker. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I had a speech therapist. She was the only person who was like, don't worry, one day you'll, you know, she's like, one day everything will click, you know, or whatever it was that she said. Um, but she was literally like I. I had uh, another another speech therapist and a, a neuropsychologist. Blame, I was such a zombie. They were blaming me for not taking. They would in one breath they would say, "This is what's wrong with you. This is what you're not going to do," and blah blah blah. This this litany of stuff. And then they would blame me in the next in the next breath for everything they said I wouldn't do when I didn't do it. It was just it was insane. So it's so this book is about everything that could have gone wrong going wrong um, yeah. and just moving moving through it and then being homeless and meeting Monica Lewinsky and telling her that I'm lonely and horny and then a few chapters later being homeless and meeting uh, Deepak Chopra and having Deepak Chopra tell me I'm sparkly. So, like, that, it's just, it's, it's, it, it runs the gamut. Wow, you have had quite a life, Austin. That is amazing. <laughs> 
So Thank you. Mean, I should say. Um, so, well, terrific. The, we only have a couple minutes left, and I always get, and I'm sure you get this question as well. Um, you'll meet somebody at a cocktail party or whatever, and they find out you have a book, and they say, oh, I've always wanted to have a book, but I could never do that, or there's some obstacle that I don't have time or I don't have this, whatever their reasons are for not writing the book that they wish they wrote. And to me, one of the saddest things in the world is somebody dying with a story in their heart that they haven't told. So I just wondered, what advice do you give to people who say, you know, I really want to write a book, I wish I could do that too. What advice do you give them? Don't stand in your way. And you how know, do you think I mean, you got out of your way? Oh gosh, I well, you know, um, I I kept I kept struggling. I kept I kept writing and I kept on writing and I kept on writing and I was always going to write this book and I never thought I would, but I kept at it. You know, so much of writing is rewriting mm-hmm. and editing. And that's, so you know what, if it's not a priority, it's not a priority, you know. I mean, I, you know, I have, people have lots of dreams, you know. I have a dream that I'm going to take a trip around the world. Am I going to do it? Maybe. Um, but it's like if you really want to write a book, do it. Don't, you know, I'm, I will encourage you. I will support you. Make an outline. Just scribble some notes out. I think, you know, for me, I had all of these thoughts. That's why I'm going to write I'm going to write a few more books after this, obviously, hopefully. Um, but I'll, I'd come up with these great ideas, or I would, I would remember these great things that happened that weren't right for this book. But you know what? I'm going to mm-hmm. use them in another book. I'm going to use them in another book. I'm going to use them in another, in another chapter in another book. And that's, you know, it, it's almost where, like, you have to catalog things and organize them and be able to, you know, because, yeah, you know, every, you know, a lot of people deal with panic attacks and depression, but how do you make it entertaining? How do you make it interesting? Right. And that, that, you know, that's, that's sitting down. That's sitting well, down with you it. you want to hear how Kenyon Aubin Oster makes, uh, makes these stories interesting, you can go to fallingout.net um, or check out his book, Falling Out, a memoir. Saving a life should be more fun. Kenyon, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm Angela Loria from the Author Incubator, and together we are changing the world one book at a time.